Good afternoon. Folks, we're slightly frazzled. We have uh, three children, aged four, and twin boys who are three. And um, we thought about kind of getting a chat. It sounds like we have five children. You said three children aged four and twin boys. I'm just highlighting how frazzled my brain is right now. I'm just going to talk until I can recover it, you know. Uh, so we thought about getting a childminder and, um, you know, doing that whole thing and coming up with two of us. And then we thought that kind of feels a bit like um, the opposite of what we want to talk about and share. So we brought the kids with us with uh, one of the young guys who's part of our church and very involved in our family and all that kind of stuff. So they are over um, there somewhere trying to have lunch. I feel like it might be appropriate before we start to just pray for Chris and his kind of <laughs> the next hour. But... Um, anyway, it is it is a joy uh, to be with you. Like Caroline said, um, we are part of the leadership of Lagan Valley Vineyard. We planted Lagan Valley Vineyard in 2012 with uh, dear friends Mark and Yvette Wilkinson. And uh, last summer, as of August last summer, I moved into kind of a um, point leadership role, employed full time. So that's kind of what I do uh, full time now: is I run our staff team and lead the church. And my name is Dana. How are you? We, we actually only have three children. One of them is four going on five and the twin boys who are three. Um, and I am a professional musician. That's what I do. That's what God has called me to do. Um, and at the moment, um, I do that alongside of being a full-time mummy when I'm not traveling. And I've just gotten back from um, quite a long trip away in Europe. So it's so lovely to be home and actually be with Northern Irish people and hear the Northern Irish accent. Yeah, it was amazing. So, uh, yeah, so I do my own stuff also, just released an EP a a few months ago and all that good stuff. So um, we're kind of, we're full full force in our family, aren't we? We're doing lots of stuff. So, um, yeah, we've just, we, by the way, we don't normally teach together. So normally I will either teach or Andrew will teach. We are opposites in communication. So this is always a fun exercise um, when we get to do it together. So we've written everything out so we can behave ourselves. Whenever we come to prepare this sort of stuff together, because usually if I'm preparing a talk, I do it somewhere very far removed from home. And likewise, Dana. So we, we sat down this week uh, on Skype and FaceTime to try and do this and then pull it all together when Dana got home last night. I always feel like we're ready for some marriage counselling after we try to do <laughs> talk together. <laughs> I feel like we should just confess some of the tumultuous conversation from last night. But anyway, um, we want to stress as we uh, begin this time together that um, this topic is one that we are both incredibly passionate about. Um, but we consider ourselves explorers, not experts. Uh, we are up to our neck in this subject in trying to figure out how to do this well as a married couple, as individuals, and as a family as a whole. Um, so there's lots of stuff we feel like we haven't done all that well over the last kind of five years since we've had kids and eight years since we've been married and lots of other stuff that we um, feel like we've maybe um, discovered that we want to share um, today. So before we get started, um, we, we don't want to assume that we're all on the same page when we talk about mission. Um, I know Scott has been unpacking some of the huge... Is anyone's brain sore from some of Scott's stuff this week? Yeah. Um, I've read several of Scott's books, and um, it's uh, what a blessing that he is in Northern Ireland, but there's no doubt it is an incredibly stretching, challenging, all of those kind of things. But 
Um, we want to assume today that you understand that God is doing something in the world. That God is about something in the world. And not only that, he invites us to be a part of it. There's this incredible text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, that says that we are laborers together with God. I don't know about you, but I, I, that's one of those kind of verses that I want to run the opposite direction from. I, I want to say, no, no, God, I'm, I'm up for kind of, you know, coming along behind you and what, what you're doing. But, you know, surely you, you do it and I'll, you know, come along behind and all that sort of stuff. But, folks, it's just not how God works. It's not how we've discovered God works. And I don't think it's how the scriptures teach God works. There's this incredible partnership that God has set up the world and the church and us as followers of Jesus to join in with him in what he's doing. And we get into all sorts of problems in our thinking in our discipleship and in our practice of mission when we think either it's 100% up to God or 100% up to us. Both of those paradigms are really problematic. There's this uh, divine partnership that God invites us to take our place in and it's incredibly exciting. Um, We don't have time to unpack this fully together but I want to share a little bit of how we kind of summarize the mission of God. It seems, uh, for, for any of you that, that read theology or that have studied this subject, um, you will know even just that phrase, the mission of God, is unbelievably vast. There's nothing in the world, there's no one in the world, there's no problem, no issue, no challenge, no thing that it doesn't speak to and it doesn't touch. And one of, the, um, one of my challenges over the last kind of 10 years of following Jesus has been trying to figure out how to get this absolutely massive thing condensed into something that I feel like can actually flow out of my life rather than just be intimidated. Whenever I read certain books, or sometimes, forgive me, Scott, but sometimes listen to people like, Scott, my brain hurts so much, I just want to go and lie down in a dark room and pray that God will send somebody else to do something about it. So for us, we summarize for our family the mission of God in two kind of, um, two kind of pedals or two kind of thrusts. One from Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. We are to be about the work of making disciples. For any of you who have ever been around uh, military environments or grew up in military families, uh, you will understand that whenever a commanding officer gives an order, that that's pretty much what you follow until you get another order. One of the last orders Jesus gave to his followers and us to church was to go into all the world and make disciples. And you could probably quote that text for us. So the first part of this thing of the mission of God that we order our family around is this idea of making disciples. We're to be be about disciple making. The second is found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the original commission to humanity. The original commission to humanity to cultivate the earth or create culture. These are the two kind of thrusts for us, two prongs for how we understand the mission of God. God dealing with sin at an individual level, restoring people to a relationship with him and what it looks like to live life apprenticed to the Jesus way, surrendering to him as king. And also at a a cosmological level of seeing the ugliness of evil and injustice, sin at a macro level, dealt with as we reorder the world into God's original design and shalom for flourishing planet and humanity. 
There's two prongs equally important that we make disciples and that we create culture. That we understand we were created to work and to create both disciples and culture. To see both people and cities come back into alignment with what God longs for them. And that's kind of what we mean when we talk about the mission of God. So when we think about our family, our marriage and our lives and we think about ordering them around this idea of mission We think about where are we making disciples and where and how are we creating culture. Now, for some of you, you've heard all that and you feel super inspired right now. You're like, yes, that's what we're supposed to do. Let's go do it. But if you're like me um, and you have a lot on your plate, you might feel a little panicked or overwhelmed right now. Does anybody else sort of get that feeling when you hear, yes, you feel like, when you think about all of the stuff that we set out as Christ followers to do, um, it, it can feel, when you sort of list it, especially as people in family, it can feel quite big. Um, so we're supposed to be passionately and intimately connected to God. We're supposed to make time and invest and prioritize our spouse and cultivate healthy marriages. We need to be present and attentive to our children and our wider families. We're supposed to be active participants in local church, seeing, serving God together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be developing and nurturing healthy community with other followers of Jesus, making space to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus, looking for opportunities to love, serve, and share our faith with them. We're supposed to be dependable, hardworking, and diligent in our jobs, doing them as though unto Christ. Is anybody else exhausted yet? Yeah, it's all really good stuff. But um, yeah, you can feel a wee bit tired. And before we even jump into sort of what the Holy Spirit has been teaching us over the past five years about this in our lives, I just want to say there's a, there's a couple um, who have been really influential to our family and to us um, about how we think about this whole subject, changing sort of the, sort of the paradigm. And they actually wrote a book um, called Write This Down. It's going to be really difficult for you to remember. It's called Family on Mission. Yeah. So the same title as this seminar, isn't it? Family on Mission. Um, And this is a lot of this, reading that book, going through a lot of that material, has challenged us enough that we started asking ourselves really important questions. So So Mike and Sutton. Mike and Sally Breen wrote the book. Um, some of you have maybe heard of Mike and Sally before. Um, they run a thing called 3D Movements or 3DM. They're based in the States now. But uh, they were super helpful for us as we were thinking about this. And in the book, they paint kind of these um, three different paradigms of how often we can uh, find ourselves approaching this idea of our families and the mission of God. The first one um, they talk about and unpack is this idea of family or mission. That when we think of our lives and we realize all the pressures that's going on, we realize, you know what, actually, I feel like I need to choose. I feel like I need to either prioritize my family or prioritize the mission. I'm going to, my job is to interrupt him all the time. So I do that really well, by the way. Um, that, that's actually one of the reasons why we almost didn't get married. Do you remember that? We were dating. I had grown up in sort of the southern part of the United States. Some people like to call it the Bible Belt. I had grown up in in church i was saved and in the meeting okay i was like in it to win it from the time i was born and to be quite honest with you i saw a lot of people um sacrifice family for the sake of ministry and i thought that must be what you're supposed to do if you're in the ministry which means i'm not marrying anybody in the ministry 
And when when I met Andrew, fell in love with him, but definitely recognized the call on his life um, to lead people in general. But I I was pretty sure that was going to end in maybe leading a church or a movement or whatever. And I was like, mm, I can't do that. We cannot do that. So we had to go through a process of redefining this whole thing in our lives. What's funny about that is um, we, we literally ended up in some counseling in, in the States because I, I, I could kind of sense that there was we were missing each other somehow in this whole conversation. And as we went through this process with the counselor, what they actually realized was when we said mission or ministry, we meant two very different things. So they actually got to the point where when Dana heard the word ministry, that meant that's more important than your family. So if you're saying that you're going to be in full-time ministry, and this is the other thing, I was saying, yeah, I'm in full-time ministry. That didn't mean, I wasn't actually saying I'm going to work for a church, be employed by a church, or do Christian work. I just, um, I didn't really grow up in church. I didn't understand discipleship in any other way. I have no paradigm for a Christian who's not in full-time ministry. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so when, when I was saying full-time ministry, I was saying my whole life is about Jesus and his business, regardless of who's employing me. But what Dana was hearing was, you're going to work for a church, and you're going to be out every single night, and I'm never going to see you, your kids are never going to see you, and you're going to expect us to kind of suck up, uh, suck up that sacrifice, because that's what good Christians do. We're very grateful for the lovely lady who helped us see that, oh wow, no, we're not talking about that at all. In fact, at that stage, I naively was trying to say, I never want to work for a church, ever, because working for a church is really hard to connect with people who don't know Jesus. And so I'd much rather work in a business where I'm surrounded by people who don't know Jesus every day, and then, you know, I can be much more effective missionally. That was my thinking then. Here I am, eight years later, and I'm working for a church. But anyway... um, But so often we can look at what's going on in the lives of those that have maybe gone before us or who are around us, and we can see that, you know what, we, we, we have to make a choice. We need to draw a line somewhere, and we're either going to prioritize our family or we're going to prioritize the mission of God, but we can't do both, family or mission. The, the other paradigm which we can often see is family and mission. So this idea that, no, no, like family is really important to God, so that we're going to Make sure that's a priority. And mission is really important to God. So we're going to make that a priority. So we're going to, we're going to go after family and mission. You know, don't you, that the single most scarce resource in the West is time. It's the thing that, that is most under pressure probably in all of our lives. And whenever we approach a family and mission mentality, what we end up doing is trying to manage our time. So we try to find the parts of our life where we do the mission bit. We find the parts of our life where we do the family bit. We find the parts of our life where we do the kids bit. And whenever you focus on managing your time, you operate out of a scarcity mentality. So you approach everything with, I don't have enough. Therefore, I'm going to have to just make this stuff fit here, fit here, fit here. And you end up chasing your tail, you end up feeling pretty, pretty exhausted. And it doesn't really work, I think, in the long term. And it creates all kinds of pressure and conflict. And things happen where you feel like you're having to give up on one for the sake of the other, or give up the other one for the sake of the other. And it becomes tension in the family, or tension in the thing you're trying to do, or all of that kind of stuff. What if there was a third way? What if there was 
What if there was a third option that we didn't have to decide if it was family or mission? We didn't have to compartmentalize all of our lives to try to figure out if we could do family and mission, but we gave it away in the title. What if the third way was family on mission? What if you actually ordered your family rhythms and priorities around the mission of God in a way that every single person in your family understood? Not just you. Or not just your spouse. That's what we are seeking to do with our lives and with our family, with our three little kids and with the extended kind of, I don't know what you would call them, clan or tribe that seem to be in our home most of the time. Um, We're trying to answer this question of what does it look like for us to order our entire life around this mission that we are on together. We want to spend the rest of our time sharing some of the things that we've put in place to be able to do this well as a family. Um, And you need to understand, this is the bad news of the seminar, there is no formula. There is no program. There is no six-step plan. Um, Mike and Sally wrote a brilliant book that's been really helpful for us, but it wasn't enough. Um, This is something that we wrestle with continually and experiment with and do all that kind of stuff. If you're here for a formula, um, we'll be a little bit offended, but you're welcome to leave now because we don't don't have one. Um, But we want you to discover the freedom that's here today for you to explore what being a family on mission looks like for your family. And it will be unique to your family. There's a sort of paradigm shift that we made I would say maybe a year ago, even in our thinking, when we first got married, we were definitely doing family, probably family and mission, weren't we? Um, super scheduled, like you know, this is our time, and now's our time for our marriage. Let's connect. You know, the connection has to happen right now. You know, like stuff like that. And it was just it all felt very pressurized and not very natural or organic or anything. And I love schedules, by the way. I am a schedule person. I love it. But still, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And I, would, I, would, I heard myself saying quite a lot, I, d- I don't have time for that. Someone would say, did you go to that? Did you go meet your sister-in-law for lunch? No, I, I, I didn't have time to do it. Uh, did, and Andrew would say, did you send in that form that you're supposed to send in in the mail? I didn't have time. You know, like a medical form or something for myself. Didn't have time. And I read this article and it blew my mind. It was really simple. But the writer suggested that instead of saying you don't have time for something, you just change the language and say, oh, no, that wasn't a priority. And then listen to that and see how it sounds to you, right? So uh, did you send in that really important medical form that you need to send in? Nope, it wasn't a priority. Oops. Do you know what I mean? Did you get to spend time with your kids? Whatever. Oh, no, it wasn't a priority. Did you take so-and-so to go swimming or play or whatever? Nope, it wasn't a priority. And all of a sudden, we realized that there was a very important word missing in our vocabulary, and it was priority. That's like, that, that statement was like a bit of a brain ninja for us. Um, because so often... Um, we find ourselves making tons of excuses for why we're not doing the things that maybe we feel like we should be doing, but actually our lives speak. And our lives speak to the fact that, well, actually, what's really important to you, you somehow find the time to do. 
and what's not, you, you don't. And so we find ourselves doing a bit of an audit of our lives, according not to what we said we wanted to do, but according to what our choices were saying were our priorities. Yeah. And that, that is so, so, so important. Sit down uh, with your spouse or with a friend and uh, just write down the major kind of decisions that you've been making over the last month. Not the ones that you would have hoped to have made, the actual decisions that you're making on a monthly or a weekly or a daily basis. And they will all point to priorities. And that's the best way we have found to be able to answer the question, what matters most to you? Not, not what do you think matters most to you, but what actually matters most to you? And then, so for us, we realized that um, we had this stated thing of our priorities are twofold. I explained them earlier, making disciples and creating culture, right? Those, are our, those are, should be our two priorities. But when we audit our lives, we're going, wow, we spent a whole lot of time in lots of, other, lots of other fields and lots of other places. So what does it look like for us to make decisions that prioritize making disciples and creating culture? How does that play out through every kind of layer of our family? If that, those are kind of the organizing principles, or if that's the operating system of our family, making disciples and creating culture, how do we do that? What decisions do we need to make? Let me illustrate this just uh, in our family for a second. So uh, Dan and I are incredibly busy, um, and yet we spend more time. Um, we spend more time alone, uh, connecting with each other than most married couples uh, that we observe in our kind of, in our peer group. Um, what's the secret? Um, we don't know if we have a secret. We do think we made a very strategic decision uh, when we were kind of doing an extension of, in our house and that our living kitchen uh, dining area where we spend most of our time has no TV. And that was just a it must have been Jesus. It was a genius decision that we just didn't think when we were doing the architecture it was, thing. It was me, babe. It was you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we, we, we designed this extension of our home, and whenever the, we built it, we were like, we didn't, I kind of had um, Joey from Friends, you know, in my head, you know, where it's like, we've nowhere to point, like, there's nowhere in here it works to put a TV. Like, there's, like if you come to the house, you, you, you get it. There's actually nowhere it really works for, for a TV. And so we have this tiny little front room where the TV is. But uh, our extension is this big glass extension. It's just such a fun space to be in. And so we just find ourselves there all the time. No TV, talking and, and connecting. But we understand that whenever we are investing in our marriage, we are culture-making. This is really, really important. That when we invest in this thing called our marriage, we are cultivating something that reflects God to our friends and our family and contributes to the life and makeup of our city. We don't invest in our family because, or our marriage because there's some um, wisdom would say that our testimony is somehow greater if we have a strong family. Or we both value having a peaceful, happy life, and so having peaceful, happy spouses are really, really important for those things. As much as those two previous statements are true, the primary reason that we want this thing to be the best that it can be is because it reflects something of God to the world. 
It's a legitimate expression of God's mission on the planet. It's not this add-on or this thing that we have to do to somehow sustain this other stuff. We understand parenting primarily as discipleship. And we are terrible at it if you audit our children. <laughs> We're learning. We said, we sat around our, we have this little ritual we do every morning around the breakfast table. We read a psalm together and uh, we pray and we welcome Jesus into our day and that whole kind of thing. But I always ask the children, are you ready to welcome Jesus in your day? And almost every day, our uh, twin Moses says, nope, <laughs> nope. I don't want Moses, you want to welcome Jesus in your day? Nope, nope. Um, pray for him, please. Yeah. But we understand when we, when we are parenting, we are disciple-making. It's not this separate thing to ministry. It's a central part of what it means to make disciples, that we disciple our children. That we are. I used to be in youth ministry and um, used to drive some of the parents mad, but I was absolutely committed to it. Anytime I was speaking to a room full of parents, I used to say, you're the primary discipler of your children. Don't you dare think it's my job. I'm, I'm happy to come along and help. I'm happy to support, I'm happy to advise and do all those things. But if you have children, you're the primary disciplers of your kids. Very, very important we understand that. Um, but beyond our family, we're equally as clear. Both of us know exactly who it is that we are discipling and we can name them on one hand. We aren't as bold as Jesus to think we could do 11 or 12. <laughs> Um, but we are very, very clear. I could name you the list. In addition to our kids, the people that we are very intentionally discipling in a life-on-life format. One of them is with our children right now. And when we say discipling, we don't mean like we meet with them for like an hour a week and do some really intense Bible study um, or prayer meetings, which is great. Like it's really great, but that's not the primary way that we understand discipleship in our, in our lives. We don't have these like mentor mentee relationships that we do intentionally. We're talking about people who have open access into our home, like actually open. Like when I first moved here, Andrew will tell you, I didn't have a lot of culture shock. Did I, we, we didn't have a lot of culture shock between us. The only culture shock we had is that people would come over unannounced. That's what I mean. Yes. People, I never knew this, you see. Even though I grew up in the South, in America, people, because I grew up in the city in the South, people would have considered it rude to do that, right? And so I was shocked for the first two years I lived here that people just called by. I thought emergencies were happening. I was like, what is wrong, Margaret? Why are you here? She's like, I just wanted to come have a cup of coffee. Now it's one of the things I love the most about living in Northern Ireland. And, but this is our house all the time, isn't it? It's, it's constantly our house. The, these people have keys to our house, more so because if we accidentally lose ours, we can call them. But, um, <laughs> but then they use it when we haven't lost our keys. You know, They eat all of our food. But at the same time, they're like our kids, aunties, and uncles. Um, and they're, they're, they are like family to us. And... It's really scary because the primary way we disciple them is to allow them to see our lives. And so for us, it's not our lives on a show. I don't feel extra pressure. They've been around and we've had arguments. I don't feel extra pressure. But there is that awareness that this isn't a program. This is a lifestyle. This is an open invitation. This is discipleship the way Jesus did it. Take it for some, from someone who likes their privacy 
Okay. This is, you know, this is not coming from someone who this is, this is my normal. I have found more freedom and joy in living that way than any other type of sort of Christian discipleship or mentoring situation I've ever been in. That stuff was very laboring. If I'm honest with you, I always felt like it was work. This is lifestyle and it is amazing. So is this, Oh, still me. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm so glad I get to say this. Cause this is one of the things I was thinking about why Andrew was just speaking to you. One of the words that we have realized has saved our lives as a family on mission is the word margin. How many of you feel like you have scheduled your lives to which within an inch of your life and there is literally no more room. So someone could stop by, you probably wouldn't be home because there's just constantly stuff to do. We were like that, weren't we? We were constantly doing something and we realized that even if God showed up and brought people into our lives or give us, we, we wouldn't have time to even recognize it. And so we went through a time of creating margin so that we could actually connect to mission. This is so important. Um, our good friend Alan Scott says the uh, problem with Jesus is that he's alive, you know, that he actually is doing stuff. If you have no margin in your life, it's very difficult to respond to what God actually begins to do in people and situations and opportunities and all that kind of stuff. Things happen, you're like, oh man, I wish I, I, wish I could, but you know, I have this commitment or that commitment. And, and we've just found this really, really important um, margin. It's just so important. Audit your life. Include that in the other audit of like, do you have margin? Space. Do you have space? If... if <laughs> If some, um, and do you know what's funny? Some of this for us is in incredible opportunities and in other bits, it's an incredible crisis where, um, you know, stuff happens in people's lives and we have to uh, move into that space. Sorry, I'm interrupting one more time. You know how Andrew said we are incredibly busy, like we could list what we do in our lives, but at the same time, we have a, he said we had a lot of time that we spend together. We have a lot of time that we spend together. On average, if I am not out of the country traveling, we will have maybe four or five nights a week where three or four, three or four nights a week where nothing is planned. Nothing is happening. We put the kids to bed. My, our kids go to bed at 630. And we have space. And then what the amazing thing is, is if someone calls by or an emergency happens or we have an opportunity to be in someone's life, we do a lot of community work in our church that we absolutely love, we actually have the space. And when Andrew has to leave or someone calls and there's an emergency and he needs to be there for someone in our community, I don't feel resentful because we've made space in our lives for family I'm not holding on to little pieces of space. Yeah. And the primary reason we do that is because we understand it's a part of the mission of God. It's part of what it means to be family on mission. Okay? It's really, really important. So, so discipleship doesn't work for us unless it's life on life. Um, you see this incredible model in the, uh, in the Gospels of Jesus with his, like, uh, he has this wonderful kind of layers to the people and their proximity to him. Um, and so there's these like small groups and large groups and all that kind of stuff. And both of those things are in play for us. So there's a small group of people that we can identify. We're discipling. There's larger forums and larger things that we're involved in and all that kind of 
um, stuff. Um, that's the disciple-making bit. Um, the culture-making bit um, for us is we understand exactly where our jobs fit in the culture-making side of reflecting God to the world. Now, that's, that, that can be challenging and tricky work to, to answer that question depending on the, the job you do or depending on the thing that you spend most of your time doing. But it is so, so, so important as parents that we understand where our spouse's job fits in what God is doing in the world. Our children ask me all the time why I go to work and I always tell them because God made us to and it really matters to what he is doing in the world. We prioritize, I shared this, we prioritize by starting our day, by giving it to God, around the breakfast table, we read a psalm, we pray for each other. And this rhythm is really important for both of us, especially when either one of us is traveling. So when one of us isn't at the table, that's a moment for us to reinforce to our kids that mommy or daddy is away doing God's work. And by the way, for Dana, that typically is singing in front of hundreds of people or thousands of people, and it's not worship but it's a culture making act of beauty and creativity and all the stuff that happens when people listen to incredible music that connects them to the divine and questions and all of those kind of things we we pray for each other all the time reinforcing that what we're about in our jobs is mission and that our kids understand that what mommy and daddy are doing in their work is mission we're going to finish today, not now, in a minute, um, but with some questions. But one of the things I observe with uh, some of the couples that we lead and that I've seen is there's this like often resentment towards the spouse's job. So we love that it makes money, but we hate the sacrifice that has to come with that. And we have to be so, so careful how we talk about our spouse's jobs around our kids because you're saying something about work. And you're saying something about that whole part of their life. If you're going to try and connect it to, to mission and what God's doing in the world, but actually you resent it, that's a problem. That's a, that's a problem. Um, so for us, we begin the day, we invite Jesus into our day, we surrender our day to him, we pray for everybody around the table and those who aren't there, depending on what's going on. And when we finish the day by talking about what we're grateful to God for that day. When One of the things that has been amazing, because Andrew has led, this, led us in this, is that whole thing of praying around the kitchen table with our kids. We're not a real, like... Um, um, I would say super religious family in that, you know, come on kids, memorize these verses or anything like that. It's just, this is how it's worked out for us. This is how we, you, we want to introduce our children to the Holy Spirit and the idea of God on mission and us being, us being on mission with them. But one of the things we started doing, our kids are just starting to go like to school, you know? So Nora starts P1 in September, but she did like, and this idea that her, fa- her father around the table in the morning used to talk to her or pray for her about the kids she's going to interact with. Do you know what I mean? About being a kind person. Already, Nor feels like she has a mission in life. And we see it as very simple, but actually it is the actual gospel. So being able to give your kids that idea that not only are daddy and mommy on mission and you get to be on mission when you're an adult one day, but you are called also to bring the love and the kindness of Jesus to where you go. Moses is not ready for that. (laughs) 
One of, one of the things that, that so this stuff permeates our decision making. It permeates what we prioritize and all that sort of stuff. So one of the other things we've done with our kids is um, we believe that God cares passionately about every single person in the world. I hope you all do too. We've they're all they're all little and they all have very different personalities and we have lots of people in and out of our home. And so one of the things that can sometimes happen, somebody might be in a mood they don't want to talk to anybody. They just don't want to. They the, someone comes over and they're like, I'm out here. I don't want to talk to you. Which is fine, it's their home. Uh, but one of the things that we have uh, instilled in each of them is you don't have to have a conversation with anybody. But in our family, we want to communicate to everybody that God sees everybody. So you will say hello. That's really, really important. We're not just trying to raise well-rounded, good-behaved children. It's connected to God. That when people come into our home, we want them to know that they are seen. Seen by us and seen by God. So, uh, And it's dead awkward for people whenever one of them's kind of like I don't want to do it and we're having the kind of no no this is what it means to be in our family this is what we do we say hello to everyone that comes in and then you can go play or you can go out of the room or you can go do whatever you want it is so 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 important to us that they that they get that um so we start the day in in that place and then we finish the day in the gratitude thing and I have to be careful that this doesn't uh, come across like this wonderfully kind of uh, Jesus-focused family. Because at any time, whilst reading a psalm, someone's throwing cereal at somebody. Uh, you know, this morning, Norma's getting her hair done, and she's more or less in tears because she doesn't want to get her hair done. Um, but that's the, that's the reality of life, okay? It's not like we're all just sitting around holding hands going, yes. Jesus, you're so welcome in our day. If anything, actually, it's more my desperate cry for Jesus. Please be present in our day. You see, we need <laughs> you. Know? Um, and likewise, at the end of the day, it's just a simple question of what are we grateful to God for this day? What are we grateful to God for this day? Um, one of the things that um, I used to do around this stuff is be overwhelmed by what we weren't doing. And so try to add like it all at once. So we're going to do a Bible study on Monday. We're going to do a prayer meeting on Tuesday. We're all going to go serve somebody on Wednesday. And our kids are like 12 months old, you know, and it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So, so what we've kind of discovered is adding these like really small things, these really small things that just help reorder, refocus and reprioritize us in the morning and in the evening has been super helpful to just keep momentum and all of that kind of stuff going on uh, for us. Uh, one of the questions that we get asked all the time um, is a version of where do you get the time? Um, are you being careful to avoid burnout? Um, all of that kind of uh, stuff. And um, you need to understand that we absolutely love our lives. We absolutely love love our lives. They are incredibly full. They are incredibly full. So when we started the church building project in January, which I don't know why, but I decided, at naivety, I suppose, I was managing the building project as well as running the staff and as well as leading the church. Um, and Dana was going to America for 13 days on a tour and, you know, three kids, four. Uh, so the twins were only two at the time. So like it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a kind of a crazy, crazy situation. Um, so our lives are, are incredibly full. And there's this thing that exists around us all, or at least I see often, where there's this like fear of burnout. People ask the question all the time, we have to protect ourselves from that and all those kind of things. And there's some wisdom in that, but you need to understand that the root of burnout is not busyness, it's fear. 
This is so important that you get this. The root of burnout is not busyness, it's fear. Fear of saying no to people, fear of letting somebody down, fear of missing out, fear of being left behind, fear of what other people might think. And what it produces in us is this drivenness that is disconnected from the rhythm of the Jesus-ordered, orientated, and focused way of life. Jesus is really clear to us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's super clear. And we have to um, find ourselves in this place often where we have maybe overstretched or we, we, we have got a place that isn't quite good, and we revisit this thing and go, oh man, where has some things crept in that are actually coming out of something other than what Jesus is inviting us into with our lives? That's so, so, so important. When we know who God says we are, we are liberated. And um, we, let people all die, we let people down all the time. Because as human beings, we are addicted to having unrealistic expectations of each other. And there's a really important, if you want to um, thrive in mission and in discipleship in the 21st century, you need to make peace with the fact that you're not Superman or Superwoman. Quickly. We are addicted to having unrealistic expectations of each other. And so we're just quite comfortable with the fact that we, we, we're going to let people down. It's, it, it happens all the time. Learning to lead our families and living into the vision of the kingdom, seeing every part of our lives caught up in the incredible ministry of disciple and culture making is equally as challenging as it is rewarding. But we have ordered all that we do under these umbrellas of disciple making and culture making. And we talk about it with our kids. And all of our decisions from the most simple to the biggest are part of that. And they're involved. They're involved. We passionately believe that your kids can never be too young to be involved in the process of what your family is doing. Yeah, sure, they have the craziest ideas that maybe are never going to happen. Like, let's go to the moon. What do you think God's going to invite us to do this week? The moon! Sure, let's see where we are by Wednesday. But that conversation is live. It's live. And they'll never know a time when it wasn't normal for them to have input into what God was saying and doing with our family. It's not top down. It's, it's, it's all of us in it uh, together. Um, just as we, by the way, can you, are we, okay, we have just a few minutes. Just uh, one thing that we didn't get to say at the beginning. Um, we have children who are under five. The conversation is going to change for us probably every six months for the next five years and then yearly for the next five years after that. And then this idea of being comfortable with seasons in life. I see a couple of you guys with them, small, tiny babies. Oh, my gosh. Can I kiss them before I go? I don't want any more. I just want to hold yours. Um, the conversation. Yeah. If, if I got to talk to us back then, if me now got to say something to us back when we were first having our children, I would say, 
relax. Why are you, <laughs> why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? And it's this idea to know the season that your family's in. If you go through life unaware of what season you're in, you will make really bad decisions about what you are supposed to be doing as a family. Know the season of life you are in. You, almost, you cannot start this conversation before you know that. And so having said that, we want you guys to write these questions down. There's some questions that would be worth, I think, having a conversation with your family. If your children are very small, then maybe with your spouse or with someone who knows you very well. If you're a single parent in here, someone who knows you very well and can help you with this. The first one is, who are you discipling? I used to hate that question. I'm very bad at, um, I consider myself a bad Christian sometimes because I never felt like I was ticking all the boxes. But don't be afraid of that question. It's not an accusation. But who are you discipling? The second one, do you understand where your job fits or what you do with most of your life fits into the mission of of, of God where your job fits into the mission of God. So I answer that question about my music career, but I also answer that question about my stay at home mom bit. Do you fully understand where that fits into the mission of God? Number three, again, this one's not an accusation. It's just an interesting thing to ask yourself to help you understand whether you're communicating the family on mission thing well to your children. If we asked your children, what does mommy think about daddy's job? Or what does daddy think about mommy's job? What would they say? We used to have this um, TV show in America that you might have had it here. You might have, it might have started here called Kids Say the Darndest Things. And this comedian used to host it and used to bring up children who are like five or six years old and ask them these questions. Hilarious. School Around the Corner was your version? Okay, School Around the Corner. Um, do you, the fourth one is, this is a big one. This is a really big one, guys. Do you have margin or space in your life? Or do you feel completely surrounded and overwhelmed by your life at the moment? I have never in my life been as, um, busy is the wrong word. My life has never been as full as it is now. And I, I have never felt as rested internally as I do now. That's a big deal for me. It's a big win. So, yeah, those four questions. So you need to understand that there is a mission. God is up to something. That you are an integral part of it. I, I used to um, come to things like this, and read books, do the podcast thing. And, do you know, it was so easy for me to believe that God was going to do something incredible in that person that was speaking's life. It was so easy for me to believe that um, that thing I heard about happening in that place over there, that, yeah, like I had just incredible faith that God would do stuff that was just mind-blowing over there. And uh, about three years ago, God began a conversation with me about um, what he wanted to do in a little place called Lisburn with our family. And I have to be really honest, it made me super uncomfortable. And I really struggled with it. And, you know, I find it so easy to believe that God would want to do something with some other person, some other place. 
But actually having faith in God in me and God at work in me and my family and our lives was, was, a, real, was a real challenge. You need to understand that God is up to stuff and you are an integral part to it. The street that you live in, the office that you call your workplace, the school that your kids go to. God is up to stuff and he is inviting you to be a part of it. Where are we about the business of disciple making and culture making? And how do we uh, order our lives and our families around those priorities in its totality and not in just little segments? Um, why don't we stop there? Uh, we'll, we'll what time do we need to finish? Five minutes. So let me let us. We're going to pray, and then um, we can do a couple of questions. If uh, any of you are brave enough in a room this size to to ask some questions, let's pray. So Father, we are so grateful that you love the world, that you love everybody that's in it. Father, we are so grateful for your son Jesus and everything that he has made available to us. And Lord, we confess today that this idea of being an integral part of your business and work and ministry and mission on the planet, we confess that it feels overwhelming and intimidating. We confess that we would love it to be about someone else that we could just help out. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and lead us. In ordering our lives around the things that matter to you most. Jesus, thank you that your words are true. And that you hold the words of life. And we want to pray for every family represented here. God, we pray that the lightness of following your son Jesus would invade us all. I pray you would release us from stress and worry and pressure and all of those things. And Lord, we long to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our homes, the streets that we live on, the places that we work, as it is in heaven. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any, any, any quick questions? We can hang around for a couple of minutes. I think we've had no emergency texts. So, um. If you had a question about this and you don't feel like we answered it, ask it now. Yes. Oh, that is such a sweet question. Do you guys hear that? Any advice for grandparents? Oh, do you know grandparents are, oh, how amazing are grandparents? We, our kids are very, very blessed to have uh, amazing grandparents. Um, And I can just say what we've, maybe what we've loved in our experience and what's been super helpful. Um, I think that for grandparents to 
that support, that support that says whatever decisions you're making, whatever you guys feel like is right for your family, we trust you and we support you. And I know that must be hard because I can't imagine myself letting Moses make his own decisions (laughs) and not having two cents to say about it kind of thing. But that empowerment, I think that's what it is, is grandparents empowering. Also, uh, I feel like probably the two adults, two adult men maybe, with the exception of my dad that had the most influence in my life for both of my grandfathers. Um, and both uh, by just being incredibly present. Yeah. My, my childhood was just filled with adventures with my grandfather. Um, walking across fields and all kinds of just, uh, I'll not get into some of the stories now, but it was mad, but it was so much fun. And just his presence shaped who I am. Um, and likewise, my my other grandfather now is one of the most significant voices of wisdom in our lives by just being present there's i think sometimes like we totally miss that in life actually that you know we're so busy looking for the you know the tweetable comment or the like profound statement but the people for me anyway that have impacted my life the most are those that have been present the most without judgment and that for me is just the greatest gift both of my grandfathers gave me was just being around, being available and just always being there. And never they never had to do the parent work, you know, of the the hard discipline or the harder conversations, all that kind of stuff. But they were they were unbelievably present and available. And um, that's that's had a huge, huge impact on my life. Um, so hope that's a little bit helpful. Anything else before we finish? Two minutes. Yes, and like I said, we are definitely in a season where that's probably easier. They don't have anywhere to be in the evenings. Um, and we, we talk about that, actually. We talk a lot about that. We, we have... We're not going to know until we get there, first of all. But um, I think it is important when you know something's coming in the future to at least have a chat about it. And one of the things that we said we're going to try out, the first thing we're going to try out is limiting extracurricular activities. Like, we have three kids, and they're only 18 months apart between the twins and our daughter. So, like, when they hit that socializing stage, it's going to come strong. Um, And we just decided that one thing per person per term you get to do. Like we can't do everybody has three different things they can do. Do you know what I mean? It might sound mean, especially in this day and age where kids get to do whatever they want to do. But that's part of being a part of a family. Do you know what I mean? As an adult, do you get to do whatever you want to do? Do you have, you know, infinite amount of money to go and do it? No, that's part of being. So everyone needs to choose one thing. But I think it's that the idea that. I think sometimes we let culture set the culture of our families. We like we, we this is what culture says, so we obviously just have to do that. And if there's anything I can just remind you of and um, help you discover today, is there is freedom for you to decide what the culture of your family is going to be. But just know that if it looks different from popular culture, it's going to be a challenge. But there's nothing wrong with having a challenge. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with your family making different decisions than what everybody else does. I used to say all the time, but so-and-so doesn't, mom, so-and-so gets to do that. And she used to say, well, I'm not so-and-so's mom. And that was it done. And I love my mom. and I had a great childhood. There you go.
I, I think, like Dana said, we, the, 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 the really honest answer in terms of practicals is we have no idea. But one of the things that's happening for us, uh, even from now, is we parent with the family is the priority, not the individuals. So our kids are deeply loved, and you get around them, you'll know they don't have issues around that. But, like, for example, if one of them's having a meltdown, what we will say is, can you see everyone else right now is happy in this environment? So it's okay for you to be sad, but you're going to need to go to your room, or you're going to need to go out in the hallway or go into another room, because actually the family is in a good space right now, and you can't just, just disrupt that. I see, and used to see this when I was in youth work all the time, the pressure on teenagers particularly with the amount of stuff that they're supposed to be doing. It's unbelievable. And if it's detrimental to the family as a whole, then for us, it's going, well, from their this age, we lead with, no, this has to work for the whole family, you know? So, so that's an that's a, um, important thing. We, we can possibly chat some more. We're out of time. Um, if there are any other questions, we can hang around for a minute or two. Do you want to finish up with all your stuff?